My name is AJ. Uh, I have the privilege of being, being on staff here at New City Church. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you today. Uh, if this is your first time here at New City, I just want to say welcome. Uh, I am excited that you are here. Uh, thank you for taking uh, a morning and Memorial Day weekend and coming and just worshiping the King of Kings with us. And so I'm thankful that you're here uh, with us. We are three weeks in uh, to our summer series called The Upper Room. Uh, where we're walking through John 13 through 17, looking at Jesus's last night with his disciples. And so we've already begun, uh, we've, we're 30 verses in. Today we're gonna be in John 13, uh, verses 31 uh, through 38. We're gonna kind of finish out John uh, chapter 13. And so we've actually, this is Jesus's final night with his disciples, but we're just now getting to where he begins to teach his disciples. And so I, I've seen the past two weeks is, uh, man, just great food for my soul. Uh, but I like holistically, I've kind of seen this idea of like kind of cleaning things up to get ready to teach. And I don't know about y'all, uh, when I got something big uh, that's about to happen, uh, I need a clean workspace. Okay, that, that's me. Like my desk is messy. I can't focus on the project at hand. I got to clean it up. Some of y'all aren't like that. All right, and I get that. Hey, there's no judgment here. I do believe that God is a God of order, not chaos. But hey, you take that with what you want. All right, you, your workspace is your workspace, okay? Uh, but what I see Jesus doing here is kind of cleaning things up. And so in the very first, uh, in the kind of first third of John 13, we saw Jesus uh, having dinner with his disciples and he gets up and he washes their feet. And so he's physically cleaning things up there because feet are gross just in general. Uh, we can just, yeah, I appreciate the amen on that, all right? I mean, I'm telling you, it's just like, man, feet are gross. These are men's feet. All right, let's, we're not gonna go down that road. Pastor Eric's already unpacked that for us. Okay, so we got, he's washed the feet. He's physically got them clean. He's even shown them and set an example of the humility and servanthood that they're going to model and what we're going to talk about today. Uh, he shows that unless he washes them, they're not going to be clean. And that's taking a physical symbol and taking it to the spiritual. And so it's setting our table for today. And even in kind of that middle third of John chapter 13, uh, Jesus identifies that one of the 12 disciples that are sitting around this table is going to betray him. And so uh, John, leaning up against Jesus, whispers, like, who is it? And he says, it's, he didn't say it exclusively, but he says, it's Judas, uh, because he hands him the bread. And so in that moment, uh, when Judas is like fully hardened out, his heart is hardened, Satan enters him. Uh, and then Jesus commands Judas and Satan um, to go and do what they're going to do quickly. And so Jesus is continuing to set and clean things up. So he's washed the disciples' feet. He's physically cleaning things and making that point to being clean in Christ, but he's also cleaning out. There's a betrayer in his midst, and now the table and the setting is clean for Jesus's final teaching. And so that's how I'm thinking about going into this today, is that everything has been cleaned up, things are set for us, and the table is now set for Jesus to do his final teaching with his 11 disciples. And so out of our passage today, and we're gonna read that in just a moment, our main idea is gonna be this, and I ripped it right off of verse 34. We are to love one another as Jesus has loved us. We are to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And so this is going to be a new commandment that's given to the disciples in the upper room. But it's going to be something that's going to apply to us still here today. And that's what we're going to spend our time talking about. Because love is something that we all desire. We all desire to be loved well. Uh, we want to be the one that loves others well. We don't want to be the one that hurts others. And so in this moment, we're, we're going to see in our text how we are to love and who we are to love. 
And so in that, as we know, we're all wired to love. Let's read our text starting in uh, verse 31 of chapter, John, of chapter 13 of John. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so that's the text that we're going to spend uh, our time unpacking here today. And so what, just to kind of give you a roadmap for what we're going to do is we're going to kind of walk through that and just kind of unpack it for just a minute. Uh, and then we have three points that we're going to walk through here today. Uh, but just starting right in verse 31, we see that the table has been set. Uh, we see it right there where it says when he had gone out, meaning Judas is out, that things are now as Jesus wants them to be for his final teaching. And so he has his 11 disciples in this intimate setting with him. And so what does Jesus start out with in his final teaching? And we see that in verse 31 and verse 32. It says that when he had gone out, Jesus has said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And when I read that, I'm sitting there and I'm going, man, that's just a lot of glory. That's a lot of glory being thrown around right there. And it's all rightly directed. It's all rightly directed right at God and Jesus himself. The son of man is now glorified because we got to remember this is a, I imagine like the tone's got to be a little like weird at this point. Like Judas is just, for most of the time, was just gotten up and left. We see earlier in our text that it's like, well, maybe he's going to buy some food. I don't know. John's sitting there. You know, John's spinning. He said, man, I know this guy's about to betray Jesus. What are we doing right now? I don't know. What do we do? And then Jesus just like runs right in and he goes, the son of man is glorified. And so you just got to know, Jesus knows uh, that God is working in this moment. He's working good in what seems like a dark moment. And then and that scripture is being fulfilled. And ultimately, all these things have been set in motion now for Jesus to go to the cross. Scripture is being fulfilled. The betrayer has been sent out. The plot has been laid. It's all set and it's ready to roll now. And so he's ready. And so he says, now the son of man can be glorified. And how is the son of man glorified? He's glorified by going to the cross and standing in our place. And so we get to see this come to fruition later as we continue to read through John. And so then we see Jesus address his disciples after uh, directing all the glory at him and in God. And we see it in verse 33 that he tells his disciples, now the son of man's glorified, I'm now going away. And so I'm telling you, all if I'm a disciple, I mean, I'm just like, what is going on? You're glorified. Now you're leaving me like I don't understand. And so what he's talking about here in verse 33 as he uses this term of endearment, just little children, uh, which I think, man, man, what a powerful, just kind of like little children. And it's stuck, just fun side note, 
Uh, man, that stuck so much with John just being called one of the children, little children, that that's what he uses in his uh, next three letters that we have towards the end of our New Testament. And so in that, man, he says that it's taken us back to John chapter 7, where Jesus is, is just kind of thrown down a whole bunch of teaching teaching that people didn't agree with and people were deserting him and he looks and people are trying to figure out who this man is because Jesus says, I'm going away and you cannot find me. And so people are beginning to be divided on who Jesus is at this point in John 7. And now he's even saying it to his disciples. And so we got to think it's a little shocking. And I think, you know, we, we sometimes pick on Peter, but Peter was just honest in this moment. And I'm really grateful because he's shook. He's like, where are you going, God? Like, hey, whoa, hold up. We need to talk about this. And we're going to unpack how all that kind of plays out in our third point today. And we'll get to that. Um, but I'm really thankful. Man, we stand here um, uh, this Sunday morning having all of Scripture to help us unpack what, what is being said here. Because it says he's going away for a little while. But we have the whole story of Scripture to show us that Jesus is referring to himself. He's going to go be glorified at the cross. And where he's going, where they can't go right now, man, he's going to sit at the right hand of the Father. Man, he's going uh, to sit there and to uh, work and be over all things. And he's going to be working in all things to bring us into the family of God and to bring glory to himself. And so we know that this is what's happening, but we, the disciples aren't able to be there just yet. But here, here's just a little nugget I, I picked up while I was studying this passage in verse 36. And I, I just thought it was sweet. Where Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. This was like before, like he'd even said that he was going to deny him. But when, when we read this, like you will follow afterward. And just the way that was written, it was almost declarative. Like you will be following me. You will be coming into glory with me, but it's just not just yet. And it's just like a promise of what's to come. As we've read our passage, we know Peter is going to deny him three times. Jesus is going to talk about it in verse 38, and then we're going to see it happen later in the book of John. Uh, but then we get to see Peter's restoration, and we're going to unpack all of that. But then, as we continue to quickly walk through our passage, uh, and we'll slow down here in just a moment, uh, that the new commandment comes in verse 34. And this is where our main idea for today comes is it says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. And so as we like are just kind of unpacking this text, we got to begin to ask if it's a new commandment, what does that mean for everything that's come before it? How do we how do we begin to understand this? Because the commandment just to love one another as Jesus has loved us like that can like sit. We can kind of like parse that. But how do we? How do we handle that with something that's new? What does this mean for the other commandments, like the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, um, you know, that we kind of hear, hear and read about? What does this mean for the 39 books of the Old Testament? How does all this fit in with the rules and the regulations? And what happens with all of this? And so I like to think uh, that when things are a little sticky and a little hard in Scripture, um, man, we, we use other parts of Scripture that are really clear. Uh, to interpret these type of things. And so, um, so we jump, uh, you don't have to go there with me, but you can jump over to Matthew 5, and Jesus talks about this himself. When he says that, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so he, he continues to go on to say that now we have a new lens to view all these things through, and that lens is himself. 
We get to view all these things through Jesus who came to fulfill all of them. And I love how one commentator put it, uh, is that it doesn't, he didn't come to abolish them, but he came to build upon them. And I love that idea that when he came to fulfill them, they did not go away. He tells us not to forget them, but we're to build on them to create something more beautiful and more lasting and just simply eternal. And so with this, this new commandment through Jesus's life, death and resurrection has ushered us into a new faith that isn't based on geography or national lines or linguistic lines. But in this, it's instead for all people based on Jesus Christ himself. And so if we wanted to just think for just a moment about what was old, the old commandment, this is a very simplified version, um, but we could say it's love God and love your neighbor. We kind of get that out of Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 6. And so love God and love your neighbor. And so this, that in itself, what the Jews had done is they kind of began to create little uh, sects around this thing and they began to really have these pockets of people in this and how they played this out. But what we began to see is that the new commandment put all those uh, distinctions away and everyone was under Christ altogether. It, it breaks all other bonds and causes us to come together under one name and one king and one Lord, and that is Jesus Christ himself. And so I want us to dive deeper into this and see how this passage affects us here today. And so that leads us kind of to our first point is that our love has a new standard. And so our love's gonna have a new standard. And I think we all understand kind of intuitively what it means for standards to change. Like things just naturally change in this world. Um, I feel like sometimes they're changing a little too fast for me. I can't normally keep up. Um, but in this, like we intuitively know, like things change, standards change. Uh, we had a fun conversation about this with our staff today. The one that really stuck out with me this week was that uh, the NBA playoffs are going on. NBA playoffs are going on right now. Uh, and you may not know much about who's in the playoffs, all that. Well, it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, it does. Some people, I'm not knocking that. Uh, but in that, uh, the three-point shot, three-point shot has changed the game of basketball. Um, I was looking into it because somebody said something about it, and I was like, well, this is interesting. And so I, I was really intrigued that the game of basketball, the standard for how things are played now, is drastically different. That the number of three-point shots has now uh, doubled, and they're predicting to triple in the next five years uh, for how many shots are taking in the game of basketball. And so the standard of play, how it's played, is now different. There's a new standard uh, among it, among the NBA and really just all of basketball. And even back, as we jump back into our text, we see that there's this idea uh, with love God and love their neighbor, but the standard that the Jews had set up was the neighbor was who we said it was, who they said it was. And I could hate everybody else. How I could love God was just do these ceremonies and festivals and, and that's all I had to do in order to love God. That wasn't the intent of when it was given, but that's how they had taken it. But Jesus, man, he began to flip all of this stuff. Man, I, I love, um, Pastor Eric came up with this and it's just always stuck how Jesus has flipped tables and he flips everything else on his head. Uh, I credit that to him every time because I just really enjoy it. Y'all might not, but I'm just like, man, that's just like beautiful imagery. Um, but in that, he begins to flip things up on its head. That's what we begin to see happening. When he says in Luke 10, and he gives this parable about the Good Samaritan, like, who is your neighbor? It's no longer uh, just those who we associate with. Because a priest walked by the man that was jumped. A Levite walked by the man that was jumped. And it was actually a Samaritan that came to the aid of somebody. And in that whole parable, Jesus goes, well, now who is your neighbor? And he begins to open it up to everybody. It's not just who you associate with. 
Jesus, even a chapter before in Luke 9, uh, says, what does it look like to follow me? It's not just doing all of these rituals and practices. No, he says, if anyone seeks to follow after me, one needs to lose his life in order to save it. If you seek to save your own life, you'll lose it. And so he's throwing all of these things on its head. And so in our passage today, we see in verse 34 and 35 that those in Christ are now commanded to love as Christ is loved. The disciples were told to love one another as Christ has loved them. And so the standard now for how those in Christ are to love one another are to love and it's set by Jesus himself. He set the standard. And that's, that's, as I say that, I know that's like overwhelming. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead, before we even unpack how Jesus is loved, I want you to hear this. That in and of ourselves, and we're going to unpack this a lot more in just a few minutes. In and of ourselves, it's unattainable. As we look and we see, and we're going to see this standard, and we're going to talk about it, and I hope you get excited about being loved and loving others in this way. In and of ourselves, we're unable to do this. Because let's just look and see, how did Jesus love his disciples? In John 13, just simply looking at that chapter, what we begin to see is that Jesus, man, he washed his disciples' feet. Now, I like a lot of, I like all y'all. I about said some of y'all, but I like all of you. I love all of you. All right, but if you want me to wash your feet, y'all, come on, let's get real. I ain't about that life. All right, I know my feet stink. All right, and so we, we ain't messing with that, Okay. But that's what he, he modeled what it meant to serve. He took on a lowly position. He did not come to be served, but to serve. He, he even washed his enemy's feet. He washed Judas's feet. And we unpacked that last week about what it looked like to have a hard heart. Um, about how Jesus in that moment, he was even continuing knowing that the hour had come. Knowing this, he still went and washed Judas's feet. When he handed him the bread, it was a sign of friendship, offering it one more time. He was loving them to the end. I love how scripture says that Jesus loved them to the end. It was, it was not just this friendship kind of love. It was a deep, rich, the highest kind of love that Jesus is calling them to right now. And even more fully as we take Take it in. Jesus knew that the hour had come. The Son of Man is now glorified. He knows these things. He knows the cross is ahead of him. He knows he's about to lay his life down, and he does it anyway. He knows what's ahead, and he loves them. Because we even see earlier in John, we see that he's feeding the hungry. Man, he's over there, and he's healing the sick. He's weeping with those who are weeping. He's forgiving sins. And even as we draw back, and y'all, I'm trying to get too excited because we got more to get to in here, but, um, but we just draw back and we see how does Jesus love? And I just, the word that comes to mind, it's the gospel. It's what Jesus has done for us. That's how Jesus is loved. He left the place of comfort. He left uh, time and he left the throne of heaven to come down and take on flesh. He left it and came and lived the life that we were supposed to live. We are now, we've marred it all by sin, but Jesus came to live in a broken world and then not only lived the perfect life, but then was betrayed, sent to the cross, beaten and died a criminal's death and took on the sin of each and every one of us in the world. And that's how he loved. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus demonstrated the greatest act of love by laying his life down for us. Y'all, I'm, I'm floored by it. I just, I, I sit back and um, you may or may not know this about me. I'm just not a crier. 
All right, maybe I look like a crier, I don't know. Um, but I'm just not a crier. Uh, but I, when I begin to sit and really think about the love of God and what He has done for me, I, 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 whoo, see, we only do this up here. Um, what we, I just begin to be overwhelmed. It's just like, if that's the standard, it's, it's overwhelming when it's directed towards me. I, I begin to sit in that and I go, my goodness, like you, you didn't just pay for like this week's quota of sins and the things I messed up. And I've messed up this week, y'all. And this isn't confession time, so I'm not going to tell them all, but, uh, but I just know I have. Man, I've sinned. And it wasn't just for this week. Man, it's been for all the past 32 years of my life and however many more God's got for me, it's all of those sins wrapped in and he went and paid the penalty for me. Man, the gospel is simply Jesus stood in my place so that I didn't have to handle it. I didn't have to take the punishment and wrath of God. Man, he laid down his life for me. That's the love of God. And he served and he continually put others before himself and he continually, even the way that he honored the Father and continually directed things back to God. It's overwhelming for me. And even how this is, if I sit in that too long, I just, uh, and I think rightly, we're just begun to be broken by our sin. And I'm just overwhelmed by the love of God. But I love, too, just how this plays out as well. Um, how we can be affected by the love of God. And that leads us kind of to our second point, that our love has a new focus of who actually is going to receive this type of love? Because in and of ourselves, the, our love is then directed right back at ourselves. How can I take care of me? That's where our love is. But now our love has a new focus. And even uh, what we see in verse 34, it says that we are to love one another. And so the focus now from our text, what we see is to love one another. And it's building, and I, I love this, um, how it builds on to love your neighbor. Because Jesus done has flipped that, you know, as we know. But the Jews, they began to take that, excuse me, and kind of twisted it to only love who they wanted to love. Their neighbor was who they wanted. It was their people. Um, and so in that, they were like, okay, these are my people. I can hate everybody else. And that's okay, because these are my neighbors. All right, and I can figure out how I'm going to love God in this. But this, when we say the new focus is one another, it builds on the love that we have for our neighbor, and so we begin to ask questions, who is the one another? And so in our passage today, the one another that Jesus is talking to is the disciples. The disciples, the 11 that are in the room, they're to love one another in this way. And so we can even take that to us here today, meaning all the men and women who profess and trust and believe in Jesus Christ, we are to love them as Christ has loved us. And so that, that encompasses all believers. And so I, I wanna take a brief moment because when I, when I say this, uh, and I say we're supposed to just love one another, those who have trusted in Christ, it can be very easy to quickly turn in and to be like, oh, all right, I don't got to worry about anybody else. But that's not this. That's our focus here today. And that's the text we're in. But I have to take a moment and say that is not the full picture of what you see in Scripture. And so what we see is that Scripture does not exclude those who don't believe. No, it's clear that we are to go to them. We are to love them just as Christ has done. I mean, Matthew 28 tells us to go into all the nations 
and make disciples. Go in and tell people and bring them into the family of God. Man, 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we're to be ready to share our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Because people need to hear this. We need to be ready to share it. And so that's why Romans 10 tells us that they can't believe unless we go. And we're going to go because we love them. Man, I'm not, we, we don't go to the ends of the earth and go and do hard things because we're like, oh yeah, maybe so. No, we go because we love them and we have a heart and we want people folded into the family of God. We jump even back, I've already referenced Matthew 5, but it talks about in that to let our, line sh- our light shine before others so that they may know it. Like people are to know the love of God. It's not something that we're to be kept secret. No, we are to share it outwardly. Scripture is full of God pursuing his people, calling people to love, not in an exclusive way, but to extend love and all, love to all, whether friend or foe. We are not supposed to shun people away from the love of God. Now, I've kind of, I would I could stay on that for a long, long time and we could preach a lot of sermons out of that. And we will here at New City because we truly believe in going and taking the gospel to the lost because we love them and we want them to be a part of the family of God. But our passage today focuses on the one another in the body of Christ. And so that's where we're gonna talk about. And so um, this is a big deal though. This is a big deal, how we're to love one another. And so it, it, carried immense, it carries immense weight, how we do it here today, but it carried uh, even immense weight back then. There were cultural lines, national lines, linguistic lines um, during this time that were just entrenched. And you did not move through the social hierarchy. You did not break free of these identifiers. These were like core identities that people held, who they were, Jew and Greek and Samaritan, slave, bondservant, free. Like you just didn't easily cross through things. And so what we begin to see is that today we have these lines as well. You don't easily jump from camp to camp um, just because you feel like it. You know, people are, are really firm in their camp. You're either Republican or Democrat. You're either Gator or Seminole. You either like Pepsi or Coke. I mean, I know not all of those carry the same weight, but I think you get what I'm going at here, okay, is that we can quickly identify with our beliefs and say, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And so pick whatever cultural line you would like to draw, and there's two sides of it. And in all of these things, I want it to be clear that this is not where, these things are not where our identity should be found. It's in Christ we have been called children of God. I mean, we're, we're called co-heirs in Hebrews uh, 4. And so we're not to identify ourselves with any of these things primarily, but instead with Christ. And so I want want to be careful here because do we have opinions? Yes. Do I have opinions? Yes. I'm not going to necessarily proclaim them right up here right now. Okay. Is there a time and place? Do we even share our opinions? I think yes. When necessary, when appropriate. Okay. Do we let these issues divide us to the point where we can't love and be in community with one another? Definitely not. The, we cannot be divided on these type of things. No, we have to, we, our, our hope and my prayer is that we are united around Christ. Because as we see in verse 35, we're to be known for our love for one another. This is what verse 35 is calling us to. And this is what I, I hope and pray for New City is that people know first and foremost about us. Is that the way that we love one another um, shows people that we are followers of Christ. 
And so when we're committed to one another, even in our disagreements, wherever you fall on any of these things, this shows the world that Christ is better than what we disagree on. Should we have opinions? Yes. Should we know what we believe? Yes. Should that wreck the body of Christ to the point where we're divided? No. Because Christ is better. And this is why the call to love one another is not an easy call, but it's also not a call to uniformity. I am thankful that it's not a call to uniformity. We're not all called to be the same because if we were all called to be just exactly the same and believe exactly the same thing about everything there is, then it would be super easy to love one another because we just all get along, okay? But that's, that's not the way the world works. That's not what we're called to. We're called to love one another uh, in this. And so I believe that God is most glorified when we see a group of divert, we see a diverse group of believers coming together. But I see, I believe there's the most glory in that when we see backgrounds, music preferences, church styles, interests, hobbies, ages, genders, races, all of these different things come together and we declare together that Jesus is the better foundation that we come together on. He is where our identity is found and in nothing else. Like I said, we're not called to be uniform, but we're called to be united in Christ. And so being founded on a common interest, it just doesn't last. Yes, we are firm where we're at today, but where does that look 10 years from now, 15, 20 years from now? Things change, interests change. But the common ground, the solid foundation of Jesus that we stand on does not change. It holds for all time. And so we're able to grow deeper and love one another more fully and richly when we do that. And so it's only in the body of Christ that people from all different nations and cultures can come together for a common interest with a greater bond than people who come from the same neighborhood, knowing each other for the 30 years with the same interest. The bond is just deeper because it's not built on something of this world. It's built on something outside of this world. And I just love that we get to declare that. And so what we have here today um, is we're called to let, not let ourselves just seek out what is comfortable. This new commandment pushes us out of our comfort and into authentic relationships. And I love that. And that's, that's one of the values here at New City is, man, we desire for each and every person to have authentic relationships. We want each and every person to feel known and accepted and heard and loved for who you are in Christ. Man, I want this for every single person here today. I want you to be in those authentic relationships. And so I want to give you, just as you're sitting here, and I wanted to write this like seven-point sermon on like how we're to love one another and just line it out, uh, but I didn't think that would, that would be the best use of our time today. But I do want to give you like two easy steps for how you can jump in and find authentic relationships here at New City Church. And the first is serving. Um, you know, we're to love one another as Christ has loved us. Uh, I think we can come together and we can serve together. Man, it's just a lot of fun if I'm just being really honest with you. Man, it, it really is. Man, you really get to know somebody when you're in a kid's classroom with them, and everybody's kids are well-behaved. I'm not saying this, so let's just go ahead and get that out of point. But when you get out there and you're having all this fun with them, you look at your partner and you go, are you ready for this? I don't know, are you ready for this? I don't know. Like, do, do we got enough goldfish? I don't know. You know, you, 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 begin, you begin to be bonded. I mean, you're there, you're with one another. Man, you wanna, I mean, what better way to hang out and get to really know somebody is you give somebody a radio and a parking baton and see who's the dancer, who's the talker, and who's just finding shade. Okay, like you, get, you begin to really get to know one another in these moments. 
You come and I invite you to come and, and let's talk about joining the setup team and, and just worship with us while we're putting out chairs and hanging drapes and we're having a good time. Um, another way that we can really have authentic community and relationships here at New City is I wanna invite you to our summer city groups. It's happening on June 8th and we're gonna be doing it on Wednesday nights at seven. Man, this is going to be a time where we're going to walk through the book of James. And so, yes, we're going to open up God's word and study it. But we are also going to be really intentional with our time to make sure that we are building new relationships and that people feel known and loved and cared for. And so my hope and prayer is that by when we get to August, man, we are one immensely tight, unified group of people. And I am not naive enough to know that we do not all think the same way. But man, what a beautiful picture of the gospel it is when we come around and love one another in that. Because it's hard, yes, but that's the beauty of the gospel. When you bring people who are unlikely to be together and they worship together and they share life together. And I just love it. I mean, I, um, I, I've led groups for a while. And one of the things about groups when you lead a group in a church is you don't always get to pick who comes into your house. Okay? Um, and so uh, at a previous church I was at, I was leading a group and uh, a couple comes in and, and we just didn't have like a lot of the same interests. Okay. Like we just didn't, we didn't, same sports teams weren't there. Uh, he was, they were vegetarian, nothing against vegetarian, just so we're clear, but I'm not one. And so we didn't have that interest in it. Made a small group potluck a little different. Um, but hey, we were good. We were good. But in that I was like, okay. All right. And so I was like, all right, well, it'd be good. He'll be in group. We'll just kind of know one another, you know, kind of service level. And the Holy Spirit, uh, through my wife, uh, and that's usually how the Holy Spirit speaks to me, it's through my wife. Um, and she's like, hey, well, we just really need to love them and get to know them. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? You are right. We are called to love one another. I'm going to do that. So let's get coffee. And uh, so we did that. And then I was like, oh, this guy's not too bad. So then we like set up lunch. And I was like, oh, this guy's not too bad. Uh, and then, you know, it started to become like this weekly thing, me and this guy getting lunch. And about three months in, I realized that this like preconception, just because I didn't have the similar interest and it just didn't like easily fit, they're like, oh, uh, he's not going to be the guy. But man, I tell you now that that is a brother in Christ who has spoken into my marriage. Man, he was there when our kids were born. He's been more intentional with me than a, just most of the people in my life. Uh, he has cared well for me and my family and he has states away now. But man, that's the brother that I think about regularly, pray for often because of the authentic relationship that was formed that I could have very easily written off. But through the working of the Holy Spirit and my wonderful wife, Jordan, man, we, I now have a deep abiding relationship with this brother in Christ and I'm immensely thankful for it. And my hope and prayer is that we have that here at New City, is that we continue to see that over and over again, where it's this, well, I wouldn't have put them two together, but you know what, that's beautiful. That's the love of Christ working out in that. And so as we look at that and we begin to, un, as we think about, man, I would love to have that. I would love to have somebody that pushes and like prods and pokes. Like, I don't think that way. And like, let's have that conversation. As we look to love that way and be loved that way, have, we have to remember our third point today. And that is this kind of love comes not from us. Because I'm, I'm excited about loving people in this way and being loved and having a community that loves in the way and loves as Christ has loved us. But we have to remember that this kind of love comes not from us. It is only through Christ that we are able to love as he is loved. The way people know that we are his disciples is by the way that we love one another. 
And if we love in this way, um, as we see if we're able to love in this way, people will know that we are his disciples. And we're only able to love if we have first received the love of Christ. And that's by trusting and believing in him. And we're going to get to John 15 in a few weeks, and we're going to see that Jesus is the vine and that we are the branches. And the only way that we're truly able to produce the fruit that comes from Christ is to be attached to Christ. It is only from being a follower of Christ that we're able to truly produce fruit. There is an outside source that comes in and, is a, and it gives us the ability to love in this way. We also see it as, as John wrote, um, he wrote three different letters, but 1 John, we get to see in chapter four, uh, beloved, let us not love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We're, if we're born of God, then we're able to love as God has loved. We know that in 1 John 3, it says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. It's like a, it's a kind of a litmus test, if you will, of like, am I a follower of Christ? Well, do I love the brothers and the sisters? Am I here for all people in this community? Am I here for them? Am I willing to love them? Whether it's differences, whether it's just, I don't agree with that. Like, are we willing to do that? Because for those who have trusted in Christ, we, by the grace of God, are able to love in this way. But if we have not trusted in Christ, we're not able to truly love as Christ has loved because we've not experienced this type of love. It's not been uh, given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to remember that this love does not come from within us, but from Christ within us. And I love, we're going to continue to unpack that, but I want to make sure I get to the second kind of half of our text today and look at Peter really quickly. And so starting in verse 36, it says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And y'all, I, I, I agree with, with Pastor Eric. Man, I just love Peter. Man, man's a man of action. Like, let's do this. Like, let's go. Where are you going? I'm going with you. Like, let's go. Like, that's like a, that's your hip pocket guy. Like I said, you're ride or die. Like, let's go in this. Like, Peter's like, let's do this. But in this, he even says, and I, and I love this, he says, I'm willing to lay down my life for you, Jesus. He doesn't want to go anywhere without him. And so this is actually, as I, as I said, this made me remember uh, John 6, 68, where Jesus, had, he had just done all this uh, teaching. And he says that he's the bread of life and you have to eat his flesh and, um, if, and drink his blood if you're going to be a part of the body of Christ. And, and that was symbolism, uh, not cannibalism. Okay, and so that's what he's talking about. But a lot of people were struggling with that. And so a lot of people were like, no, nah, I don't want no part of that. I'm out of here. And so Jesus looks at his disciples after all these other people had left. And he says, he says, are you going to leave also? And Peter looks at him and he goes, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so I sit there and I see Peter saying the same thing. Like, Lord, where am I going? Like, if you're going, I'm going. Like, we're, we're in this together. And so I, I'm super thankful for Peter being like, yes, I'm willing to do this. He's willing to do this. But in this, as I, as I study this and really wrestle with this, it began to become evident um, that he was willing to do the things that he said, but he didn't truly understand at the moment the uh, level of love that he was saying that he was willing to put forth. And in this, as we remember our third point, that the love does not come from within us, 
He hadn't, Jesus hadn't truly gone to the cross and put his glory on display yet. Jesus had not been, or excuse me, Peter had not been yet filled through the Holy Spirit and been able to love fully in the way that God has designed us to love yet. And so we see that, and I believe that Peter no doubt loved Christ, but he didn't fully grasp this type of love because Jesus had not yet put it on display. But, and so Peter wasn't able to realize it or fulfill this type of love yet. But what we see, and this is where I'm just so thankful uh, that I don't just have John 13 here this morning. But we get to jump and we get to see that in verse 38, John, me, I'm, I'm getting all kinds of names thrown around right here. Uh, Peter does uh, deny Jesus three times, as he said he would in verse 38. But then we get to jump to John chapter 21 and see Peter restored. And then we get to see the effects of that restoration and the Holy Spirit come upon Peter. And then we get to look at Peter in the book of Acts and in the letters written by Peter that bear his name in our New Testament, all the while boasting not in himself, but in Christ. We get to see that he writes in his second letter in uh, chapter one, verse four, that he writes that it's not all that it is only by God's grace that we believe and partake in the divine, that we are able to live in Christ. It is only in Christ that we are able to do that. And so we are not able to on our own. We can try and we can change and we can do all these different things. But until Christ has changed us, we are unable to truly love as he has called us to love. That is why I love Galatians 2.20, as it shows us this type of love comes not from us, but Christ in us. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I, I just love that. I love that it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I love that we get to declare that and to just realize that here today that it's no way that we're able to do and love in this way on our own. Because I tell you what, I naturally think in and of myself that man, I am, I am disciplined enough, I can make this happen. That's like kind of the way I'm wired. You tell me something, I own it, I was like, all right, I got this. I'm gonna see it through, I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna make this happen. I'm gonna work hard enough. I'm gonna do enough things to get this happen. Some people are like, well, I'm, I'm charming enough. I can make this happen. I can love people in this way. I'm attractive enough. I'm wealthy enough. I'm smart enough. I've got the right tools in my tool belt to make this happen. But that's just not the way the Christian life works. That's not the way that we're able to truly love one another. Because what we see is that it's not our strengths that's sufficient for us, but it's God's grace. It's the love of God that we experience is sufficient. I love how Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12 that, uh, and God says that his grace is sufficient for us, that his power is made perfect in weakness. And I just love that the beauty is that we get to see through Christ going to the cross and being glorified in death and resurrection, that now through Christ in us and in our weakness, we're able to love as he is loved. And this is kind of the final piece of this morning for me is I, we're called to love as Christ is loved and we're, we're to imitate that love we're to love as he is loved that's like kind of a direct correlation but I love how like even that beautiful truth gets expounded to we're not just imitators but we're partakers in that love it's not just something like all right I got it now I gotta like live out this but now I get to partake in it I get to participate I get to share this love with others and it's a beautiful truth that now we get to go out and love as Christ has loved us. And it's just this beautiful thing that unites people from all tribes, tongues, and nations. 
And so it's the type of love that, man, I love that. It's the type of love that causes people to get up on a Sunday morning and a love for one another and just set out chairs. It's the type of love that uh, has people go back into serving kids, to park cars. It's a type of love that doesn't let disagreements separate uh, a brother and sister in Christ, but instead causes them to draw nearer in understanding one another. That's, that's sweet. That this kind of love propels us to do things that aren't in our comfort zone. We dance on stage at kids' weeks. We share our sins and our struggles in our groups because that's where we can actually truly be known and loved. And so this love calls us to serve one another without getting anything in return. And so we ask, and I ask us, man, how are we loving one another here at New City? I think, well, I've been immensely blessed by the love of New City. It's been sweet. But as we close out our time together, I want to share this kind of last point. And it's this, that our love for one another comes from abiding in Christ. In order for us to know this love, we first have to know Christ. And, our, and out of that, our love for one another is going to come from abiding in Christ. Because we must regularly be spending time with Him. Unhurried, just sweet time with our Savior. To know how He loved, whom He loved, and what he, who He's calling us to love. And so... I pray that our hearts are aligned with His and that if we spend time with Him in prayer and we, we talk with Him and we read His Word, that we will truly see how He has loved us. And from that, then we will go and we will love others in the same way. And so I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to love one another, not just today, but in all these days that we have together. And so I'm thankful for this love that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. God, I thank You so much for Your love and what You have done for us. God, it is a sweet love that, that is endless. And so God, I'm, I'm immensely grateful that we get to, uh, to know that love, that you've invited us in uh, to that love. And I pray that if somebody doesn't know that love, uh, that Lord, they'll talk with someone who they came with and they'll talk with um, the people here about experiencing that love. But God, let us love uh, one another because you have first loved us. And so God, we thank you for that. See your name that we pray, amen. <laughs>